I have come tonight to continue to, to, to pursue the presence of God with each and every one of you tonight. I declare the pursuit is on, and I declare that we will find his presence in this place in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm going to get right into my word tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Esther. What a beautiful name it is. Amen. What a beautiful name. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. The word of the Lord says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you tonight, God. We give you glory. Your name is a name above all names, Father Lord. And we have come tonight, God, to pursue you. Father, we come with our hearts, God, ready and expecting, God, to be able to have the privilege of entering into your presence this night, God. Father, these words that I speak, God, I pray you help me to speak. And I pray, Father God, that you will get your glory, Father, that you deserve. We give you praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. In this passage of scripture, Esther was being told by Mordecai, her cousin, that she was born for such a time as this. And in your life, you can make a difference where God has placed you. Oh, I'm preaching already. <laughs> that, that goes for every single one of you. You were born at a time for a specific purpose. I love the book of Esther, one of the most powerful stories of how God can use you to turn what the enemy meant for evil into something good. There's so much preaching in this story, how God can take the most least likely and use their lives to do the most profound things to make such a, such a dramatic difference. He shows that no matter what the enemy's plan is to destroy God's people, God always has a greater plan to rescue his people. In this hour of time under King Asher's reign, there was an evil plot to kill all the Jews by a man named Haman. But God raises up a peasant girl named Esther with the purpose to be the one who exposes the enemy's plot, therefore sparing the lives of the Jews, God's chosen people. She was chosen for such a time as this. And we too must believe this to be true in our lives too. I believe the church of this hour has been chosen for such a time as this. While the enemy has an evil plot to destroy this nation, God has a church he's chosen full of men, women, and children who will be used to spare this nation. That's you and I. We're not here by accident. We're all here on this earth at this time for a specific purpose. And if we remain silent at this time, our families will perish. You have to use your royal position for such a time as this. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And still today, the enemy has a plan to destroy our nation, but God has a greater plan to save it. And it's time for the church to rise and shine and let our enemies be scattered. For some time now, many have been praying and saying, I want revival. Many have prayed harder and longer than you ever have, literally begging God to show up and save our nation. The need for revival has been brought to the forefront of the church for some time now, as it seemingly has been evading us, causing a hunger and a thirst among a remnant of God's people. And as the world has waxed cold and seemingly falling into a sinful abyss, meaning an evil place invaded by demons from the pits of hell, Many have felt, due to the condition of the world and the obvious evil that is being unleashed and practiced in our nation, many are now desperately declaring that only a move of God can spare the hearts of men, women, and children who are being led slaughtered by the artful deception of the spirits of this Antichrist. 
And through the burdening of this oppression, we have concluded the church needs revival, that we need Jesus to come to our rescue. I have for some time preached with confidence that God wants a spiritual reformation to take place in the body of Christ. The reformation means making changes to something with the intention of setting it back on the right path. It means to set something back in order. God wants to set the church back on track. He wants to reestablish its power upon the earth. But we have wandered away from the standard of holiness into a cosmos worldly religion that's not governed by a sovereign God, but by a man with a humanistic standard. And many have been praying fervently for revival while others have slept on their watch, sliding into a lethargic state of spirituality. And now, say now. Now, the sparks of revival are beginning to be seen throughout the land. These sparks are beginning of a revival we have yet yearned for. And they will ignite the flames of the Holy Ghost that will burn in these last days throughout the land. Hallelujah. I preached last week, until we seek his presence more than a man, until our focus is on Jesus, we will not see revival. Until our hearts get to the place it's all about Jesus and not about a man. I shared with you, Moses was a great godly leader, one who should be respected, one who should be honored. But the people had come more dependent on his relationship with God than they did with their own relationship with God. Moses, you talk to God. Moses, you pray to God. Moses, you spend time with God. Moses, you go up on the mountain. They depended on the man more than they did God. They knew Moses, but they did not know God themselves. And as we're seeking, we got to seek Jesus if we want revival. Make no mistake. Revival is for the church, but an awakening is for the world. And we can't awaken the world until the church is revived. An awakening is launched through a revival. And for revival to come, the unadulterated word of God has to be preached and believed. There is only one gospel. There is not another gospel. The world is screaming for another gospel, one that will condone their sins and the lifestyles they live in, instead of the one true gospel that convicts them of their sins. There's only one true living God, Jehovah God Almighty, Bound to any other God is nothing more than idolatry. And while we're wanting the world to become awakened, they are slowly being woken. While the church sleeps and slumbers, the devil roams sick and he may devour. It's the church's place to wake them up, church. For too long, the church would rather entertain them than to evangelize them. It's so much easier to attract the world with such events. But it doesn't bring revival to the church. It only brings the world into the church to where God is no longer the head of the church. Some man is. In a recent article, it said revival is cyclical, meaning that it starts and it stops. It will crash and it will decline, and it will eventually will cease. And the reason being is revival only ceases when people stop pursuing Jesus. Revival comes as a result of our pursuit of God. As long as we keep pushing him, it won't stop. As long as we keep pursuing him, it will even intensify. Our pursuit is what stokes the fire. How many know the more logs you put on the fire, the bigger the fire burns? That in every great revival, when the people grew tired of pursuing, the flames slowly go out like in any fire. When they become disenchanted because it, to take for granted and stop pursuing God. When they compromised, when flesh got in the way, when religion took over, when a judgmental spirit came in, the moment the pursuit stops, the revival fire went out. In many cases, it's not compromise that kills revivals as much as it is religion. Because religion has its own ideal how revival is going to look and how long it's going to last. But true revival comes to break the mold, to upset the norm, to reverse the course, to establish new things, to bring freshness. Revival is out of the box. Revival burned in the early church, things we have heard and only read about. Just read the book of Acts. Yet all the while it burned, it warred against the spirit of religion. Judaism was the religion that the Judaizers had to go to the church and say that salvation alone was not won by the cross, that you would have to be circumcised to be truly be saved. You must keep the Mosaic law if you would have to keep the feast days. It was Jesus saves plus. It was Jesus saves plus religion. Jesus saves plus circumcision. Jesus saves plus keeping the feast days. And I've come to declare that it's not Jesus saves common. It's just Jesus saves, period. <laughs> Hallelujah. All you need to be saved is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
It's not Jesus saves plus the church of God. It's not Jesus saves plus the assembly of God. It's not Jesus saves plus the first Baptist. It's Jesus saves, period. No, it's actually Jesus saves, exclamation point. Come on, somebody. If you say you want revival, it must be pursued, continually hungered for. Revival comes through fervent prayer and hunger and a thirst for God to revive what is dead, to bring reformation, to set things back in order, to correct man's ideology and theology and his missteps, to bring the focus back on Jesus' plan and not man's, to where man loses control and God reclaims control of his church. God is a jealous God. He despises, he destroys idolatry. And I've come to tell you where I believe we're at as a nation. I believe we're in the place of prophetic alignment. And I believe we've been saved for such a time as this. A place and a time where we as a church ought to be building a strong foundation to where through sound doctrine, God's going to begin to release his power through God's anointed ones. It's going to be an anointing that will, that will counter the hour, this hour of darkness and the need. And an anointing like Esther had that destroyed the enemy's assignment when she obeyed God's will for her life. I'm saying we are at a season and time when not only are God's people moaning and groaning, the very earth is moaning and groaning because of labor pains, because it's responding to the commands of God's will as it is to obey it and to serve him. Some of y'all haven't given much thought to the fact that even the earth is going through some stuff, some hideous times as well. You forgot that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. That when the earth suffers, God's people suffer too. We have a connection to the earth. Were we not made out of the dust of it? We're at a season time which was prophesied to come when the earth is lining up the will of God. It's prophesied in Scripture of the many things that the earth and everything on it will suffer in the last days. Earthquakes, famine, pestilence, which in return affects our human lives. Yet while we are sitting around blaming earthquakes and storms and floods and the climate for our problems, let me be frank. Sin is still our greatest problem. Sin brings forth destruction upon our lives and upon this earth. Sin is a reproach to any nation. It brings judgment on the earth and its people. Now, how many of you know there wasn't nothing created that God hasn't created? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formed, the sun arose, the darkness fell, the stars appeared, the waters flowed, and every living creature was created. At the very command of God's voice, it came into existence and served him at his command. Everything in the beginning was lined up with his will and for his purpose. Then he created man and a woman. And in the beginning, it lined up with his will. We came into existence to serve him at his command. But then the fall came. And through disobedience to God's will because of our own permissive will, when man fell, the earth was cursed, and so was man because of sin. It is the moment when we became out of alignment with God's will for mankind, when it's God's will that no man shall perish. The enemy had a plan to destroy God's creation, but God had a greater plan to save his creation. And therefore, God sent his only son, Jesus, to redeem us, to bring us back into alignment with God's will for our lives, so that his glory may fill the earth. How many know that God has a will for the end times? just like he had one for in the beginning of times. He has a plan for it is written in the pages of our Bibles, declaring God is going to bring every nation, every tongue, every tribe into alignment for the end of all things. The things that are taking place in our world today are all about prophecy being fulfilled. God said it will happen, so shall it happen. God says, I'm right in the presence of your enemies, even in the midst of your turmoil. I'm even in the midst of the witches and the warlocks because I am God, and beside me there is no other God. I am God. Nobody elected me. I am God. Nobody appointed me. I am God. Nobody moved me in. Nobody can take me out. I can't be removed. I am God all by myself. Hallelujah. I was God before there was anybody there to tell me I was God. I was God before the thunder clapped its hands. I was God before the lightning flashed. I was God before the clouds collided. I was God before there was a where and a when or a this and that or it and a hand. I was God before the angels sung their first hymn. I was God before you ever said hallelujah. I was God before the morning ever kissed a sunlit sky. Oh, come on. If you believe I'm talking about your God, won't you stand to your feet and give your God praise tonight? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. He's God. Hallelujah. There is no other like him. Hallelujah. 
How many truly understand the reality there is truly an end to all of this? That this here will not go on forever. He knew the end before all this began. He's not trying to work all this out as we go along. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's done been where we're going. He's done planned a way of escape. He's done established a better life beyond this life. Prophetic, there is a day coming, a great and dreadful day, a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ as the Lord. And God is bringing everything into alignment for his return and ultimate defeat of our enemy, Satan. And God's turning everything around. And you know what his will is? It is written, it's his desire that none shall perish. Yet those who refuse to line up with his will sadly will. For his church to line up, we've got to go to a new level of spiritual maturity. To where the gifts of the spirit can no longer remain dormant, neglected, or misused. For them to operate as they prophesied to do so in the last days. For there to once again be the power of them working the church and to bring forth the manifestations of the gifts. For too long we tried to operate in them without structure. And we have failed too often to follow protocols established for prophetic ministry. For too long we've had too many loose cannons producing false prophets of this age. And we've seen too many simulated acts of power, but nothing of authentication being established in the body. And for the release of power that's coming to the church through the prophetic gifts planned for this age, we will have to have structure and we'll have to follow protocol. God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. Hallelujah. And the operation of the gifts are to always be in order. And the Lord is calling us to step into a new level of spiritual maturity and using the gifts of prophecy. We're needing to a time, I believe, a great prophetic release and power. And in order for us to minister wisely in that release of power, the Lord is giving us a better understanding of what is needed for this next level of ministry. Because at every new level, there's a new devil. Come on. Better put, greater resistance and warfare. There have already been so many people claiming to be prophets who are not that are causing doubt. We're told of the many false prophets that would rise up in the last days. But never forget, if there are counterfeits, that means that there has to be an authentic one. The role of the false prophets is to confuse and blindness to the real ones. I want to tell you something. What's happening in Asbury, Kentucky is genuine and authentic. It can't be manufactured. But here's the caution. How God is moving in Asbury does not mean that's exactly how God's going to move everywhere. Here's what can happen. The enemy will mimic what's going on there, encouraging people to try to duplicate it. They'll try to box it up. Go get you an acoustic guitar and go to a college campus and you got revival. He'll create a counterfeit, a simulation of what's really happening in an attempt to confuse and blind many to a real move of God and return bring a reproach. God's not going to be confined to a box. He's going to move where people genuinely seek him. Even if it's the middle of a cornfield, even if it's the middle of a football game, it's got to be authentic. I don't want simulation. I want the authentic move of God. I will pursue it, and I will wait patiently for the real move. Hallelujah. The common move where God is, thread where God is moving is, people are genuinely seeking his presence, and no man is getting glory, just Jesus. Beware of the false prophets. Be in tune with God by revelation of his spirit. You can't discern between the two if you're not spiritual. The principle of prophetic alignment is foundational to having an understanding of God's word as a living reality. Many things are labeled prophecy, but only some of them are what I refer to as prophecy with a capital P. Prophecy with a capital P is when God's inspired word in scripture converges with his actions in history. Come on, now that's a word right there. In other words, it's when God's will is being fulfilled according to his word. When what is written lines up with what is being spoken. These major events of prophetic fulfillment reveal God's will in our time. There are great redemptive events of our days, and they form the basis for other types of prophetic utterances and actions to be released among God's people. When God acts in history to fulfill his word in Scripture, we need revelation. We need to recognize it. When his word claims that in the last days perilous times shall come, we should be able to recognize it's a hand because Scripture revealed it to us. When God sends revival, we should be able to realize that this is that. 
We ought to be look at the events surrounding our lives and realize what this is and why these things are as they are. Is not everything that Job prophesied not taking place? It lines up with Scripture. Therefore, we ought to have the revelation that this is that. But many times, God moves in important ways, and we miss the prophetic significance because we fail to see the prophetic significance of the event. Therefore, it's so essential to know what the Word of God says and to make known the proper prophetic alignment between an important event and God's inspired Word. I believe God has ushered us into a season where spiritual minds have begun seeing the things more clearly in the Spirit. For those who are being led by the Spirit, those who are students of the Word are receiving revelations through the Spirit of God. It's as simple as saying they are in tune with God. I'm telling you, God is revealing supernatural insight to the body of Christ. And Satan's hidden agendas are now being openly exposed for our spiritual eyes to see. The statement is, they're coming out of the closet. I believe it's more like God's opening the closet doors and building the enemy's plot just like he did in Esther's day. The enemy has a plan to destroy our nation and not what we've seen and what are we going to do with it because we're born for such a time as this. While the enemy's plan is being exposed, God's prophetic plan is being released and being recognized as well. Somebody say, God, where you at? Yet I say, I see his hand all over the place. What happens when you try to drive a car that is out of alignment? It either pulls you to the left or it pulls you to the right. It makes it hard for you to steer it in the right direction. It can even cause you to run off the road. So to correct it, you have to have all four wheels brought into alignment. So they match up. So all are going the same direction, the right direction, in which they were purposed to go. So it is for the body of Christ. In Scripture, we're told not to look to the left or to the right. And we're living in a time when the church is, is going in so many different directions. Some are looking to the left, and some are looking to the right. And it's not going in the same direction, the right direction. It was purposed to go. So God has to bring it into alignment with his will. Before the church can ever fulfill its purpose, it's got to line up if it's ever going to have an effect upon the world. The church has a purpose direction, folks. That's why judgment begins in the house of God. Because in order to get the world right, the church has got to get right. It has to be aligned and brought into unity. It's the same spiritually in our individual lives. We are instructed to not look to the left or the right. Proverbs 4 and 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And to do this, the body has got to be brought into alignment. The church has to be revived for the world can be awakened. And the whole body needs to line up so that we're all going the same direction, the right direction, purpose for our lives. The church needs to be revived. The world needs to be awakened. You can't have an awakening in your city or your state or your region until there is revival in the church. It's a church that is in revival that brings an awakening to the land. The nation can't heal the church, but it's a church that can heal a nation. That's why we must lift up the name of Jesus because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into me, all men, red, yellow, black, white, Chinese, Hispanic, not just rich men, not just poor men, not just strong men, not just weak men, all men. If you say you really want revival, there's a heavy price tag to pay for. Revival will cost you something. It will cause you to have to reprioritize your time. You have to seek you first the kingdom of God. There's no shortcuts to receive a genuine move of God. It takes a genuine pursuit of God. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. To have an authentic revival that will bring forth an awakening, we have got to fall in love with Jesus all over again, church. Now, I'm not talking about loving the church. I'm not talking about loving the music. I'm not talking about just loving the worship services. I'm not talking about just loving the programs. All those things you should love, but Jesus has to be first. We got to love the blesser more than the blessings. We got to love the deliverer more than the deliverance. We got to love the healer more than the healings. Come on, church. So many people claim, I love Jesus. Do you really? What if he asked you if you love him today personally like he did Simon Peter in 1 John chapter 4? 
Jesus asked him personally, Simon Peter, do you love me? How would you answer? Peter had to look Christ face to face and answer this question. And the word love Jesus used here in the Greek language was the word agape. He asked Peter, do you agape me? Which means self-sacrificial love, which means I'm willing to give my life for you because I love you so much. Christ was asking, do you agape me? Do you love me enough to die for me? Simon Peter's answer was a classic. He looked at Jesus and said, you know I love you. But he didn't use the same word for love Jesus used in the Greek. He used the Greek word for love, phileo, which is where you get the word friendship. In other words, you know what he was saying to Jesus? Lord, you know I love you. We're friends. I'm fond of you. You know I tell everyone I'm a Christian. I come to church once a week. I know I have some hang-ups. I know there's some things I haven't gave up yet. I know I'm a little bit hypocritical at times. I live one way on Sunday and another on Monday. But, hey, we're still friends, you know. You know how I am. Just don't ask too much of me just yet. Don't ask me to give up everything. Let's not ruin our friendship. And it caused Peter to truly examine his answer. So Jesus looks at him a second time, and he asks him again, Simon Peter, do you love me? Agape me? Do you love me enough to die for me and sacrifice everything for me? And Simon Peter answered once again, you know I love you. This time, Peter used the Greek word for love, eros, where we get the word erotic. In other words, Lord, you know I get excited about you. You know I come on Sundays and I lift my hands and I praise you, and even at times I cry. Sure, maybe there's times I go back to living like I used to on Monday. True, I'm still holding on to some of the same old friends. Sure, I'm still doing some of the same old things, but I still come and get excited about you as well. You know I love you. Just don't require so much. Come on, lighten up on me, God. I'm excited. Sunday's a great day with you. Sure, I have a little loose fun through the week. What's the problem? What's the big deal? And Jesus looks at Simon Peter the third time, and he asks, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for me? There was something in these words of Jesus that caught my attention. How much you love him determines how far you will go for him. Is your love limited? Well, you know, I'll go this far, but any farther is asking too much. I have to draw the line somewhere, you know. Now, Lord, that's just asking too much to come to church three times a week. It wasn't asking too much when he walked up Calvary and was crucified for your sins. It wasn't asking him to give up too much when he gave his life for you. He didn't draw no lines with God. He didn't limit how far he would go. And after agonizing the garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Why? Because he loved us. With pure agape love, self-sacrificial love. So why would we have limits and boundaries? Or refuse to give up things to prove we love him. Why do you think it's too much to ask? How can our love be so conditional when his is totally unconditional? You know what Jesus was saying when he kept asking Peter over and over? He was saying, I hear people all the time saying they love me. And too many times it's only lip service. They say one thing and they live another. People spending more time with ungodly friends than with me. Saying they love me once a year at Easter. Saying they love me after their busy shopping season on Christmas. Saying they love me when tragedy strikes. Saying they love me when caught in their sins. He said, but I'm looking for somebody who will back it up. I'm looking for someone who will sacrifice. I'm looking for someone who will die out to sell. He is saying, Peter, do you love your music or do you love mine? Do you love your people or do you love mine? Do you love your plans or do you love my will? Do you love my kingdom or do you love your world? And the Bible says something in the voice of Jesus touched Peter's heart that day that he became broken and he began to weep. It was as though he was saying, now that I think about it, you're right, Lord. I'm so sorry. I'm tired of, of this lukewarmness. I'm tired of showing up on Sundays just lifting my hands. I'm tired of being a hypocrite on Mondays. I'm tired of playing church. I see how indifferent and lukewarm my heart was become 
Forgive me, Jesus. I love you. Peter's answer was different the third time. Same words, different meaning. This time he was saying, you know I love you. I agape you with a self-sacrificing love. Tell me what I have to do to prove my love to you. He was making a true commitment that day. I'll do anything. I'll give up anything to prove it to you. And Jesus looked at him and began to prophesy. He said, all right, if you really give me everything, if you're really sold out to me, then quit living up one week and down the next. Quit being ashamed of me in front of your fellow workers. Quit hiding your faith. Quit hanging around those who hate me. Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, when you're young, you'll be free. But I warn you, one day you'll become an old man. And they're going to bind you just like they bound me because you love me. They're going to nail you to a cross and you're going to die just like I did. Giving up your life and self-sacrifice so that others may be saved. Do you really love me? Because this is what it's going to cost you. And Peter, Simon said, Peter, Simon Peter said, I'll do whatever it takes. I want my life to be in your will. Jesus says, then follow me. Let's just do more than just show up for church. Let's have a life of destiny. Let's live a life of purpose. Let's have a life of walking in the spirit. And Jesus is looking for someone who will sell out to him, who will declare, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus, as Jesus prophesied, the day came when Peter became an old man. Many years had passed. He'd won thousands of Christ. He's not a young man anymore. He's become an old man. And as prophesied, the Roman soldiers take him and stretch him out on the cross. And they tell him, Peter, all you got to do is deny Christ and we'll let you live. They beg with him. Spare yourself, Peter. Come on, Peter. Don't take it so serious. You can have a friendly love for God and live different the rest of the week. You can get excited about him periodically, but you don't have to go overboard and live it all the time. Come on, Peter. Don't be a fanatic. Just compromise with us. I'm talking to some people that the enemy has told you the very same thing. He's even used some of your closest friends to speak these things to you. You don't have to be all that good. But Peter says, no. I won't deny him. I told him that day when he asked me if I loved him, I told him I agapied him. I loved him. And that I would die for him, I'm sold out for him. That's the kind of love Christ was looking for then. That's the kind of love Christ is looking for now. When we let the slightest thing cause us to give up at times and even deny him. Washing machine quits, our world's falling apart. Someone gossips on us and we walk out of the church. Get so busy in our lives trying to make another dollar, never spending any time with him. I want to tell you something. They still know today in China what it will cost them. If it costs any of our precious time, then he's asking too much of us too often. Our busy lifestyles only allot a certain amount of time. So if a relationship with you, Lord, costs more time than I've allotted, I'll have to sever this relationship, Lord. I simply don't have the time. When it's costing men, women in China, whippings and beatings, even their lives at this very hour. While we're sitting in America blessed and self-centered, when we need to be Christ-centered. But that's why Acts 2 is taking place in rundown basements of homes in China. The dead are being raised back to life. What's the difference? Agape love. They love him like he loves them. He's first. Some think they're going to just waltz into heaven. They're just going to live loose and live lukewarm. But I read where the road to heaven is narrow, but the road to hell is wide. Some believe they can just flip back and forth from the enemy's camp to God's camp and believe you're going to be all right. But if it costs him his life, church, it's going to cost you your life. It's not a cheap grace. It was blood bought. They crucified Peter that day. But before they had, before they had he had one request. The Fox Book of Martyrs says that one request was, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Crucify me upside down. And they did. On a crucified cross, upside down, agape love. Peter had made a choice to love him with all his heart that day. When Christ asked him, do you love me? 
Let me tell you this, though. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he told him, yes, I love you. You know what the Bible says? When Jesus told Peter it's going to cost you and you're going to die like me, Peter turned and looked at John, who was standing beside him. And Peter tried to take the pressure off him. He said, well, what about John? How many of us do that when we're faced with such a challenging question? When we're called on the carpet. That's what we do when he puts his finger on our life. And he says, I want to deal with you. We look around and we say, well, what about him or her? Look how she's been living. You'll hear a message from the pulpit. And immediately the lives of three people come to your mind that you believe need to hear this. Never considering, was he talking to me? Sometimes you have to face the music and you have to stand alone. Sometimes as walk, you have to be the only one who's standing up for what's right. Sometimes you have to be the only one who with his, with his hands raised. Sometimes you have to be the only one walking into your job saying, I'm going to live right today. Sometimes you have to be the only one who voted for what is morally right. Sometimes you have to be the only one in your house who gets up on Sunday and comes to church. Because looking around and sizing yourself up to others of no value in your Christian walk. We don't want to size ourselves up to those who are doing the same or less. When we need to be honest, Jesus said to him when asked about John, what is it to you? You know, when I stand before God, I won't be answering for anybody else but myself. And when it's your time to stand before God and you try to point your finger at him or her, he'll say, what is it to you? I'm asking you. If we really want revival, we must seek and fall in love with Jesus and seek his presence. Because the time is here. It's prophetically lining up. For God to pour out his spirit of all flesh in these last days. The pouring has begun. Now the seeking has to begin. Would my musicians come, please? What God is doing there in Asbury, Kentucky, he wants to do all over the world. The many tireless, fervent prayers of God's people are now being answered. Revival will continue to spread like a wildfire and even intensify as long as we continue to pursue Jesus Christ. When we want more of him than we want of anything else, would you stand with me? Churches, time to truly fall in love with him, to pursue his presence. I spoke to the importance last Sunday night of pursuing God's presence. We need revival so we can do our part this nation. It's time. We were saved for such a time as this, church. We've been chosen. We have a purpose. It's God's plan to save our nation. Can I ask you, do you love Jesus? I'll ask it a second time. Do you love Jesus? I'll ask it a third time. Do you love Jesus? If you say, yes, I do, then I am going to ask this whole congregation Come to this altar before we leave tonight. Come to either repent of your neglect, your misaligned priorities, or come to tell him, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, or just to come and make known your love for Jesus with your prayers and with your worship. Can you come with no other motive than to tell and show Jesus that you love him tonight? Because an authentic move of God comes as a result of an authentic pursuit of Jesus. I'm not talking about coming for a two-minute moment. I'm talking about coming tonight and pursuing him. Can you come and love Jesus? Because you have been chosen for such a time as this. Come on, church. His presence is in this place. Would you come because you love him? Would you come and pursue him? Would you come and show him you love him? Would you come and tell him you love him? Because he loves you. Go ahead, praise team.
And all 
shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. And time 
pray now. I believe it's time to enter into his presence. Would you begin to pray all over this place. Speak to the one you love. Father, have your way in this place. Father, 
Lord, we have come tonight to tell you we love you, to show you we love you through our praying, through our worship. It's our commitment tonight, God, to refocus our lives, God, to put them on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I just pray tonight as we continue to minister to our hearts. I'm thankful and take not for granted your presence is here. We're pursuing you, Father. We're on a pursuit. We're asking for authenticity. We're asking for a true move. called us for such a time as this. The Father, there's a part we play like Esther played in her time. There's a part we play. And Father, we're just asking you to lead us, guide us, and direct us, Father, so that we might bring you glory, that your name may be honored. A name above all names, a beautiful name. We thank you for this moment we're having with you. encourage you Wednesday nights we're here on Wednesday nights we're in here praying having a time of prayer together the spirit's moving on Wednesday too church and I encourage you to be here and be a part of what God's doing let's pursue him with all of our hearts we've got to keep him our focus Jesus is our focus you love him Giving your biggest praise. God bless you. Christmas. Christmas.